0: Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian, so glad that you have tuned in today to uh, get in on this conversation here with us uh, simply because of the fact that there are so so many lousy things happening in the world. We talk about this every week that we are very grateful to be able to have good news to talk about. And I, I think that One of the reasons why this has become such a popular segment of the Bottom Line Show broadcast week is that very issue. The idea that we have good news to share, and of course the good news is the good news of the gospel, amen, but we also have the good news of things that are happening, I think, in the name of the cause of Christ, and this is something that is well worth our time. It's well worth exploring. It's well worth... Uh, you know, taking a look at from the biblical worldview perspective, and this is why we get a chance to share these stories with you each and every Friday on Good News Friday. So, coming up today at the bottom of the first hour here of the program, it's three thirty in the Pacific time zone; it's four thirty in the Mountain time zone. Author Becky Harling is going to join me. We're going to talk about um, uh, what she talks about as being rooted joy, prioritizing your connection with Christ and your friends, and how uh, a, a simple, more joyful life really it starts with rooted joy in friendships. Friendships who, with people, who, of course, who share a similar faith. And uh, we've got a copy of the book we're going to be giving away today. This will be a huge help, I think, for a lot of people who are wrestling right now, not only experiencing the joy of the Lord, but also experiencing deep and solid and lasting friendships. So, that's, that's the first part of this conversation. Um, one of the things that I find very interesting, you know, we've done a lot of Movie Monday segments here on the Bottom Line Show throughout the course of the past, say, 12 to 15 months. And it's interesting because of late, recently, the past uh, month or so, there have been some faith-based films, some projects that are coming out. Dallas Jenkins with The Chosen is going to join us on Monday. And we're going to talk about Um, Season four of The Chosen, there was a big premiere actually here in the Southland last week, and season four of The Chosen drops, as they say in the industry, on Thursday, February 1st. And it's going to be unique this time because what's going to happen is they're going to release the first three episodes, then the next three episodes the following week, and then the next two episodes, and kind of a recap. And all of the episodes, all eight episodes of The Chosen are going to release in theaters, before they actually drop on the streaming services that people have grown accustomed to. So if you want to go to the theater and have a cinematic experience for The Chosen, you could do so um, starting February 1st, and you could go. Uh, The idea is you'll wind up buying, I think there's like a three-part ticket or something, or you have to buy a few tickets to go. But in doing so, uh, what you're doing is not only are you letting Hollywood know, know that you really are... Uh, you know, serious about faith-based projects, but you're also helping The Chosen to kind of fund the film. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize it. I think the thought is these big Hollywood studios have tons of money. They put up all their money and they hire actors and promotion companies and things like that. They put the movie out and then they sell tickets to the movie. Well, the tickets actually go primarily to the theater owner who has paid money in advance to get the screening, to make you know, some profit off of this. The movie owners, I mean, the, the, the 15 bucks or whatever your ticket is, uh, gets split up pretty evenly, maybe not quite so evenly. But with The Chosen, the fact that they are crowdsourced and there's funding that goes into it gives them a chance to kind of get some different sources of revenue from people who enjoy The Chosen. As a matter of fact, on on Monday, uh, you'll hear Dallas Jenkins and I talk about that, and I believe he'll bring up the statistic where he says something like 98% of the people who watch The Chosen don't pay for it. But the ministry that's been happening out of this has just been remarkable. It's absolutely incredible. And it made me start thinking about uh, uh, another film that was made about 40 years ago, I maybe mean 35, 40 years ago, called The Last Temptation of Christ. Do you remember this movie? The Last Temptation of Christ uh, was a Martin Scorsese film, starred Willem Dafoe, and basically it was a, uh, a movie that wondered what it would be like if, 1988 is when it came out, um, would, would wonder if this was, a, what would it be like if Jesus struggled with the various forms of temptation and actually gave in to them? Now, what's interesting about that movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, It was written by a guy called Paul Schrader, and uh, it was rewritten by uh, Martin Scorsese, the guy called Jay Cox. Um, There was a 1955 novel, same title, written by a man called Nikos Katazonicus. And basically, the book and the film depict Christ being tempted and imagining himself going through this. Now, we know that Jesus was tempted in every way. But we also know too that he resisted the temptation. I mean, every temptation that was available to a human being, Jesus experienced. In the sense that walking on the earth, he there wasn't the a temptation that he didn't know about that he couldn't potentially, you know, have given into. And obviously we know that Jesus withstood every temptation. When Satan says, you know, come up here, throw yourself down, you know, turn these stones into bread, all that stuff. Jesus was given every opportunity to satisfy every human earthly lust, and he chose to follow God's path. Now, the movie, based on the novel, the, the, the writers of the novel said, look, this has nothing to do with the gospels. This is not us saying the Bible should be like this. The idea instead was, hey, we're just saying, we're going to look at the human side of Jesus, which a lot of people do. And then Christians come in and kind of spiritualize it and say, oh, wait a minute, you shouldn't do that because blah, 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 blah. Well, I I don't want to say obviously, but obviously we, we understand that if somebody does not have any prior knowledge of spiritual things they're not going to make good spiritual decisions because they really don't know what they're doing. They really don't know what they're talking about. I think of the uh, words of Jesus on the cross where the crowd's going nuts and doing all that stuff and what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Well, when people in the faith community heard about this movie, they went nuts. And (laughs) it was really kind of sad to see it happen because these were men and women that i had a lot of respect for i'd been at broadcasting about five six years and i remember what it was like the movie was put out i think by universal pictures or something like that there was a massive demonstration at universal studios i mean there's the universal amphitheater big old you know plot uh in the parking lot it was just it was crazy it cost about seven million dollars to make the movie And quite frankly, it was one of those things that Martin Scorsese was the director of, and he was doing this for artistic purposes. He really did just want to tell this story and say, well, what would it be like if Jesus did this? Well, a lot of Catholics got upset. A lot of evangelicals got upset. What do you mean Jesus is wrestling with lustful activities? Now, to be fair, putting this stuff on the screen is really a bridge too far. In the film, I mean, for example, you know, they, they imagined, like a lot of people have, that Jesus and Mary Magdalene would have I mean, a lot of secularized people, not Christians, have insinuated that there was probably something going on there, as they say in the vernacular of the day. But here, what's interesting this movie was going to be released on six screens, it was made for, you know, $7 million, as I mentioned. But the whole idea was that the movie would be released on six screens, which is the bare minimum, or was in 1988, 89, to qualify for an Academy Award. And this is one of those movies that you know Universal was willing to take a bath on because they thought it's going to be the big, you know, artistic achievement of the year. Hollywood's going to make a statement, right? Well, because of the push from the evangelical community. The film got way more attention than it should have. Remember how it was only going to open on six screens? Well, let me do a quick Google search here. How many screens did the last Temptation of Christ open on? Okay. It originally was going to be six. This is something... It took 15 years for this movie to actually show up. And it released on way more than, (laughs) in all honesty, um, when this first happened, Edwards Theaters said that they were not going to screen the film because the Edwards family had a faith tradition. Um, What happened, though, is that United Artists and General Cinemas um, also said that they weren't going to screen the film. At the end of the day, though, they wound up screening in so many film, uh, so many uh, markets that they wound up grossing 33 million dollars for the film. 33 million dollars. They wound up opening in nine major cities, but the per-screen average was a record, was an absolute record. As a matter of fact, uh, here's a report from, remember, United Press International found this, UPI 1988 said that either despite, of, uh, 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 or, despite or because of the, 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 what was going on, apparently it wound up getting its initial debut on nine screens and grossed $400,000 through the weekend near capacity houses from Washington, D.C. to L.A., At the time, the movie opened on a per-screen average, which is what we look at here with faith-based films. Typically, you know, if you've got a big blockbuster movie, like, for example, at the time, uh, the number one movie in America at that time was Cocktail, Tom Cruise. It was on 1,500 screens. It averaged $5,700 per screen. Last Temptation of Christ averaged $44,579 per screen. It was a record for Universal Studios. And it was all because of the fact that so many people were all up in arms about this movie. And they really pushed the release over the top. It showed up in the Venice International Film Festival, It was released on VHS and LaserDisc. Uh, Even Blockbuster said they weren't going to carry it. Didn't matter. They had a Blu-ray version of this. Um, By the end of its run, the movie made about $8 million in the U.S. and grossed another $25 million internationally. Incredible. Martin Scorsese said he just wanted to tell this story. And the movie that was going to go away wound up getting an Academy Award nomination for Best Director, Martin Scorsese. Uh, Barbara Hershey, who played Mary Magdalene, earned a nomination for a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Peter Gabriel wrote the score for it. He got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Score. And many in the industry thought that Willem Dafoe, who played Jesus of Nazareth, should have received an Academy Award nomination as well. So why do I spend so much time here on this Good News Friday talking about Martin Scorsese and The Last Temptation of Christ and faith-based films? Well, on the other side of this break, I want to get into something about another Martin Scorsese film that's out right now that actually a lot of people of faith are saying, hey, you know what? There may have been a change of heart with this guy. Maybe, just maybe, Martin Scorsese is figuring out that a film like the one he just released is actually a way to put Jesus in a good light where people of faith would say, all right. So 35 years later, did Martin Scorsese finally get it right when it comes to Jesus on the big screen? Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trusts. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain.
1: So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out, so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone, and ask about our accounts that face even higher amounts for funds over 250000
0: Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money Account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial. Simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. After a lengthy preamble, uh, (laughs) I bring up the Last Temptation of Christ movie often on this program for the simple reason that it's a great example for us in the body of Christ of when we... Looking at something and saying we need to stand up and defend God in the public square, oftentimes make things worse. The reality is, Scorsese's movie Last Temptation of Christ* had scenes in it where it, it imagines what it would have been like for Jesus to imagine what it would have been like to be intimate with Mary Magdalene, or you know, not go up on the cross, that type of thing. Now, the idea of putting Jesus in that scene is blasphemous, but people have been blaspheming Jesus on the big screen for years. The problem. With last temptation, is it was going to release on six screens. It eventually wound up releasing on nine. Its first weekend, it set a record for per screen average. Universal had so many people who wanted to go see this movie. It grossed forty-five thousand dollars per screen, and then it went on to gross eight million dollars in the U.S. It got all their money back. It cost them seven million to make it, and they made another twenty-five million dollars overseas. If the Christian media establishment had not gotten so upset about this in the media and wound up inadvertently promoting this film, it would have released on six screens and gone away. No one would have seen it. No one would have cared. We know, you know, we have to stand before God and answer, but sometimes the best answer you can give in a situation like this is to not bring attention to it. Martin Scorsese said at the time he didn't mean any harm by it. It was an artistic interpretation of a novel that he read in the 1950s and he spent 15 years adapting it for the screen. So now, why is religion and the work of Jesus Christ being connected to Martin Scorsese yet again? Well, here we are, 2024, and a new movie is out called Killers of the Flower Moon. Now this is a movie that Martin Scorsese freely says I've had a change of heart with regard to the way I want to see Jesus Christ depicted on film. Last year at the Cannes Film Festival in May Killers of the Flower Moon was premiered and afterwards Martin Scorsese and his wife traveled to Italy to attend a conference called The Global Aesthetics of the Catholic Imagination. He had a brief meeting with the Pope and afterwards he said, I have responded to the Pope's appeal to artists in the only way I know by imagining and writing a screenplay for a film about Jesus. He wrote the screenplay for that film, which he plans to shoot later this year. The movie about Jesus will be based on a book by an author called Shushuku Endo. And the book is called A Life of Jesus. It's set mostly in the present day, focusing on the teachings of Jesus. He said, I'm trying to find a new way to make it more accessible and take away the negative onus on what has been associated with organized religion. This is more Martin Scorsese. Remember, this is the guy who made Last Temptation of Christ, that imagined Jesus embracing his fully human side and kind of denying his deity. Quote, right now, quote unquote, the word religion, you say that word and everyone's up in arms because it's failed in so many ways. But that doesn't mean necessarily that the initial impulse was wrong. So let's get back. Let's just think about it. You may reject it, but it might make a difference in how you live your life, even if you reject it. Don't dismiss it offhand. That's all I'm talking about. And I'm saying that as a person who's going to be 81 in a couple days. You know what I mean? Wow. Who thought, (laughs) who ever could have thought? Some people are saying, wait a minute. This is Martin, this is Last Temptation of Christ, Martin Scorsese, who now says he wants to make a movie called A Life of Jesus? What happened? What happened? Basically, Scorsese says for him, it's about finding his own way in a religious sense. He said, you know, I hate to use that language. It's misinterpreted often, but there's a basic fundamental belief that I have and that I'm trying to have, and now I'm using films to find it. I think this is a significant discovery for us in the body of Christ to know about. And on the other side of this break, I want to break down why an admission like this from Martin Scorsese is a powerful reminder for those of us in the body of Christ who might be willing to just kind of give up on people that we know and have known for many, many years do not have a faith in the Lord. Let's talk about that on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's not Movie Monday, and we aren't giving away tickets to see this yet, but I just read this article in the Los Angeles Times about Martin Scorsese, and I was just amazed remembering everything that we in Christian media lived through in 1988-1989 with the release of the movie The Last Temptation of Christ, directed by Martin Scorsese, based on a novel that was written in the 1950s that just imagined Jesus fully giving into his human side and kind of denying his deity. What would it like to not go on the cross, to get married, to have a physical relationship, have a family, you know, that type of thing. And, of course, depicting those scenes on screen was just horrific. I mean, it was not that they were horrible and graphic, just the idea that it was Jesus, you know, acting like it it was wrong. It was wrong for them to do this. However, there have been so many horrible depictions of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and things like that in pornographic situations and stuff like that over the years, we as Christians don't have to run around being the police and bringing all that stuff into the light and saying, see, see, there's a problem over here. What's our mandate? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And what we, I mean, obviously you have to stand up against heinous and horrific sins, but in the movie industry, especially, we know it's very forgettable, right? I mean, there's a good chance that someone is going to come on some talk show and say, hey, here's so-and-so, and and he's the star of blah, blah, blah. And you're going to look and go, who? Who is that? I mean, that's between them and God, but I was, I was stunned. There was a TV show on HBO that was really, really popular when we first started the bottom line show. They just could not get enough of these people. Some girls, you know, drama thing. And they just, I think it was even called girls. People went on and on and on and on. And finally, when they finally decided to disband the production of it, I looked at the ratings for, you know, how many members of the audience were actually watching this show. And I looked at Tamara, I think she was newly in the producer's chair, and I said, do you realize that this show that's on HBO and gets all this hype has the same number of viewers that the bottom line has listeners? (laughs) I mean, come on, right? But that's what Hollywood hype machine does. So now fast forward 45 years and Martin Scorsese's at Cannes in 2023, screening the Killers of the Flower Moon, which is his current movie, and he meets with the Pope and he comes away from that meeting and the Pope says, basically, I want to encourage you to do films that actually encourage people. And so Scorsese Scorsese's now written a screenplay for a movie. He's going to shoot it later this year. It's called uh, uh, A Life of Jesus. It's based on a book by a writer called Shushaku Endo. And it's mostly set in the present day, focuses on the core teachings of Jesus, because Martin Scorsese says, hey, I'm 81, and this stuff is starting to make sense to me. I know all the Bible experts, the, the demographic specialists and sociologists tell us: if you don't fire, or if you don't if you don't find a way to get a kid, a young person, fired up for their faith in Jesus before they graduate from high school, there's a excellent chance that that person will never come to faith in christ here's what i say about this whole idea with martin scorsese now it's not the fact that it's you know major hollywood director it's the fact that here's a man who's 81 years old who had some religious training in his youth and now that he is uh getting closer to the stadium lap as i call it getting closer to the finish line It's been weighing on him heavily and now he's rediscovering the teachings of jesus and maybe he's reconsidering the faith and some of the things that he's done and you and i both have people in our world who hit a certain age and all of a sudden life starts to change i know my life changed dramatically once i turned 50 this program opened up once i turned 60 living on a new heart got a new wife i mean you know life was Things change when you hit these milestone years. I still remember a guy at my former church, Lutheran Church of the Cross here in Laguna Woods, named Cal Bien, great guy. Cal had been in the entertainment industry. He was a manager, he was a publicist, never married because he was too busy being the party guy, and he made a lot of money. And by the time he hit his early 70s, he realized it wasn't worth it. He started coming to church. He wound up getting baptized. He became a really strong believer and a very... uh, consistent member of our church died in his early 90s and basically left a few bucks to a niece and a nephew but rest the left of his estate left the rest of his estate to the church that was his family it's a large contribution hopefully being put to good use by those who are made at lcc can you imagine if somebody had given up on cal when he was 70 bob you're not going to get it now you're never going to get it why do we not share the good news? Why do we not reintroduce that with people that we know who are in their 60s or 70s or 80s, 90s? You know how many active listeners we have all the way up to centenarians here on the bottom line show who like to hear the good news of the gospel, the good news that you're a sinner, you're born into a sinful fallen world, but there is hope. The hope's name is Jesus Christ. He died. He's the complete son of God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And his death and resurrection make eternal life possible for you and me because his blood washes our sin clean and pays the penalty for that sin with God. So if Martin Scorsese can have that turnaround moment at age 81, there's someone in your world who's doing that too. That is good news and that's the bottom line. On the other side of this break, author Becky Harling joins me to talk about prioritizing your connection to Christ and your friends in a brand new book called Rooted Joy. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. I can't say enough about pre-born, and I'm gonna keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science, and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two, that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say either you're gonna be a parent that's gonna be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion. The third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a Preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one-time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a way that you can experience one of the fruits of the Spirit, or or a fruit of the Spirit, if you will, that oftentimes people miss out on because there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, Becky Harling has a degree in biblical literature. She's a popular speaker at retreats and conferences. Uh, Her life experience includes pastor's wife, parent, grandparent, women's ministry leader, and survivor of cancer as well. Uh, She's the author of numerous books and has a brand new one out that is very, very popular and just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called Rooted Joy, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. And it helps us to find out that the secret to a more joyful life might be something that would surprise you. Becky Harling, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Hey,
3: it is great to be with you.
0: You know, as I love talking to survivors because there are so many people who are just going through something. You know, you see those things on social media all yeah. the time saying, hey, everyone's going through something, be patient. Uh, how did your relationship with joy and the Lord change after you had that battle with breast
3: cancer? That is such a great question. And nobody's asked me that before. And I love that question. Oh, uh, okay, so for me... Cancer was very clarifying. You know, I was still in the thick of raising my kids mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed. And a mentor challenged me to praise God every day leading up to my surgery. And Mm. I remember thinking at the time, this is the most ridiculous challenge I've ever been given. I hardly feel like jumping up and down saying, "Hallelujah!" I have cancer, you know, (laughs) but that challenge changed my life because the more time I spent in the presence of Christ, the more joy filled me. And the more I realized, okay, life is short. I've got to be investing in relationships yes. more deeply. And that's really the key to more joy.
0: You know, I think when, when you talk about that investment and the fact that someone challenged you to do this, I, I was reading an account. It was an article written by Andrew Brunson, American pastor uh-huh. who spent a couple of years in Iran. And he talked about why he, he said there was a period where it felt like my prayers weren't being answered. Obviously, I'm stuck in this prison. I'm separated from my family. And he said, God's response was, worship me. Yep. And he said, okay, what What do you mean worship you? I'm in solitary confinement. Worship you. He yeah. goes, worship me. How would you worship me? And so he said, all of a sudden, I start thinking about songs. And he goes, I'm a terrible dancer. And I dance before the Lord in this tiny little cell. He said, it was amazing how transformational it was. So by the time I got out of the prison, I came out, not with bitterness, but with praise on my lips. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that as you're talking about this, you know, in terms of... Prioritizing your connection to Christ and the relationships, and digging in, a lot of people are missing out on the rich, you know, soil you know, that that has the nutrients to develop this this joy that's cultivated. Talk about where do you begin, you know, in terms of you know the fact that there are some people saying, "Hey, I'm kind of a lone wolf here. I don't have a lot of friendships. I don't have a lot of relationships. What kind of relationships should I be looking for?"
3: So here's the thing. God designed us for a relationship. He designed us, first of all, for intimacy with him, but then for a relationship and deep community with others. And, you know, as Americans... Um, and I don't know if any of your audiences oversee, but I find this to be more true here in America than I have overseas. And I've traveled a lot um, that here in America, we really value independence. Yes. But that's nowhere in scripture will you find independence affirmed by God because mm-hmm. he didn't create us that way. He designed us for community. And so the what I like to tell people is if you don't have friendships, you've got to change the narrative in your head. And then you've got to take initiative because the narrative in your head is saying, oh, I am lonely. I'm not a good friend. I'm not good enough to be a friend. You got to change that because God wired you to be a good friend. So you've got to, first of all, change the narrative in your head. And then you got to take initiative. You know, I've met some people who say, well, I I can't take initiative because I'm not a good conversationalist. You know what? The key to being a great conversationalist is just learn how to ask a few great questions. You keep Mm -hmm. the other person talking and you don't really even have to worry about saying anything (laughs) because everybody (laughs) loves to talk about themselves.
1: Yes, they do. Yes, they so do.
3: So that's where I would suggest.
1: <laughs> that's a good,
0: that's great counsel from Becky Harling today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, Becky's book is called Rooted Joy, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. You, you've chosen the book of Philippians as your basis for all of this. And I think a lot of people, when we think of the, the very quotable passages from Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi, we think of, I could do all things through him who gives me strength, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, There's lots of things there. But oftentimes we miss the fact that part of what necessitated and facilitated the letter in the first place, wasn't it some relationship issues that were kind of really gnawing at the church? Talk about that.
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, we see in the book of Philippians that Paul loved his friends in Philippi. You know, Mm. so right from the beginning of the letter, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I remember you always in my prayers. I'm confident in you that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says many times in Philippians 1, I have you In my heart, I have you in my heart, and so we know for sure that Paul really valued his relationship with the Philippians. Now, there were two women in the church who were not getting along Syntiki and Iodia, and Paul challenged them. He's like you know, you've got to get along. I urge you to lay aside your disagreements because you're part of the body of Christ. And we need those deep connections in the body of Christ in order to experience joy. So if you're going to focus on the conflict, you're likely not going to experience joy. You got to shift your focus.
0: And having the focus in the right place is so essential because you have seen this, I have too, especially here in the American church right now. We're looking at a culture where many of us grew up uh, in a time where, you know, God and country say the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, we, we just kind of trust that the Bible is the moral standard. I was talking to George Barna a couple of weeks ago, and George's new research at the uh, uh, American Worldview Inventory Study at American, uh, Arizona Christian University indicated that one of the most shocking developments for him as a researcher, a guy who, as he says, I measure things. And I love that the way he describes that. But he said, look, the biggest surprise in the culture right now is twofold. Number one, that the number of people who believe in moral absolutes actually went up during the pandemic. But number two, the number of people who use the Bible as their standard for moral absolutes went down. And so you begin to realize that now- what you've got is people who say, "Oh, absolutely, there are moral standards, but <clears throat> it's based on what I think, not on what God says." And and sometimes that creeps into the church and in Christian relationships, doesn't it?
3: You know, it really does. And what's interesting, um, I recently read a book also by uh, by Glenn Packiam that mm-hmm. the Barna mm-hmm. Group asked him to write, and it's right. very interesting because the pandemic didn't create problems for the church however it revealed the state of the church yes yes and so we have a lot of people who formerly were part of a community and now you know it's just easier to sit home in your jammies drink coffee and watch it online Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that that's always bad but god designed us for community and so you have a massive exodus out of the church and so it makes sense then that morality is still honored here in America. However, the standard might not be biblical.
0: Mm. And therein lies the rub. Uh, Becky Harling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsher. Brand new book is called Rooted Joy, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. The book is divided into a couple different uh, sections, uh, sessions that take you through different types of joy, joy of friendships, joy of humility, joy of discovering your one thing, and the joy of peace, uh, relational and internally. Then there's also a seven-day follow-up devotional plan uh, that's in the book, too. It's very, very practical practical. practical and a very helpful resource. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to walk through these these joys, especially uh, the, the thing about purpose, because I think a lot of folks are beginning to realize that the one thing that they had in life may not have been the one thing God had for them. Well, I'm going to talk about that with Becky Harling on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Becky Harling is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, author, speaker, and uh, the brand new resource is called Rooted Joy, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. During the break, Becky, we were talking about specifically who you wrote this book for and these uh, what you call the girlfriend gatherings. Talk about how that that comes together, because that doesn't sound like 10,000 women in a big auditorium.
3: No. So during COVID, you know, I was sitting there thinking and I, I mean, I have to be honest, I love a good stage. I love speaking from this stage to thousands of people. However, I began to realize, you know, some women are longing to be more real with each other in a small group. And prior to COVID, some of my friends had gathered here in Colorado and we did our own like little girlfriend retreat, you know, and we shared our prayer quests, We read scripture over each other. We prayed over each other and it was so sweet. And I thought, you know, there needs to be material designed for women to get together with their close friends, dig into the word of God, get real with each other so that we're actually living in community like God created us for. And so this book, Rooted Joy, is really the first in the Girlfriend Gathering series. There will be more coming out.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, you, I mentioned before the break in the book of Philippians, you've identified the joy of friendships, joy of humility, the joy of discovering your one thing, the joy of peace, uh, whether it's internal peace or relational peace. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the joy of friendships and how important it was even for Paul to write to the church at Philippi and say, hey, look, you got two gals here who need to get your, <laughs> get it together here, you know? Yep. And, and, and for all the times, you know, I've seen this social media meme a lot over the past year saying, boy, if the church in America was, uh, you know, part of scriptural time, we'd be getting a letter from Paul, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. we we really need some help. He could be so direct and, hey, Corinthians, get your act together. But Philippians kind of says, hey, wait a minute, let's look at the things that he focuses on. Friendships, humility, things like that. Talk, talk about how you have designed the sessions here.
3: Yeah. So um, I've designed the sessions, like the first one is rooted in uh, Philippians 1. And so it really is uh, there's an accompanying video that's the power of affirmation and how important that is to affirm mm-hmm. your friends. The second uh, week I or the second lesson, it can be done on a weekend or a four-week short Bible study, uh, is on humility. And what part that plays in strengthening our relationships? Because I find that humility is often lacking in our relationships you yep, know we're a very me first culture we love to be the expert on things and <laughs> we got to lay that aside you know yeah. to be to walk humbly like Jesus does. And then in chapter three, of course, Paul says, I want to know Christ. And so that was the center of his purpose. That was his one thing. I want to know Christ. Everything else is going to flow out of that. And then Mm -hmm. the fourth uh, session is based on Philippians four, where Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, you know, instead, turn your panic into praise.
0: Mm-hmm. And that peace that passes all understanding. I mean, th- yeah. that's that's where you you're looking for it, your desire is there, and you find it, you know, in Christ. And I think the beauty of this is what Becky Harling is sharing with us today, her brand new book, Rooted Joy, prioritizing your connection to Christ and Your Friends, which is up at the bottomline is to say, hey, look, get that one thing together. I want to know Christ. And then this is how you get to know Christ. You abide in him by obeying his commands. You also abide in him by prioritizing your relationships and your friendships. What kind of feedback, back? I know the book's only been out a little while, but what kind of feedback are you getting from women who are saying, oh my gosh, this is a game changer in terms of helping me either reprioritize or maybe reestablish a relationship that might've been broken up?
3: you know, it's exciting. People are excited about this. They're saying, Hey, I want to do this this summer because I'm missing my close friends. And I want to get serious about being honest with them. And I want to journey together in my relationship with Christ. One fun thing about this book is that my daughter was actually my editor. I asked the publishing company Uh to hire her as my editor. And that was just a whole lot of fun because she brought a, lot to the book being my editor you know just helping me figure out girlfriend activities that would be fun and questions to really get women to share with each other so it was a really fun project and so i'm it seems like it's being well received so i'm excited
0: i'm glad to hear that And, and for anyone who's ever been involved in the that side of the publishing world your editor is your best friend or worst enemy all at the same time, right? (laughs) Because, you know, you submit your manuscript and then they're like, okay, let's get the fine-tuned comb out and, and do that. And so for you to have enough trust in your daughter to say to your publisher, hey, by the way, you know if this thing is really going to hum i think that speaks volumes and and i'm sure that care is all throughout the book in terms of a lot of women who as they're getting older maybe their daughters are in their adult years now and and it, the the relationship didn't quite move from mother daughter to friend and peer As they got older, as they were hoping, or are you anticipating that a lot of there's going to be a lot of reconciliation between mothers and daughters through this resource?
3: I hope so. I mean, I think, you know, being the parent of adult kids now has been a whole lot of fun for me, you know, and did I do everything right as a parent? No, certainly not. In fact, there was one moment where Steve, my husband and I pulled all four of our kids together and their spouses. And we said to them, okay, give us feedback. What did we do Mm -hmm. right? What did Mm -hmm. we do wrong? The single thing that we did right that they all mentioned was that we apologized when we were wrong. So for (laughs) some, uh, you know, mothers out there, I want to speak to you for a second, because I've heard recently about a lot of mothers who have broken relationships with their daughters. And I'm not saying my relationships with my daughters are perfect. I am saying if you have a broken relationship with your daughter and you want more joy in your life, begin with apologizing, you know, because you didn't do everything right. None of us Mm -hmm. did. So you apologize for what you did wrong. And then you say, this relationship is really important to me. So whatever it takes, I want to work on that because as I grow older, I want a deep relationship with you as my daughter. And I think that those words are life-changing.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine Becky Harling with us today here on The Bottom Line, talking about the brand new book, Rooted Joy, prioritizing your connection to Christ and your friends, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I would imagine, Becky, that the same, that now that opens up the door for an adult daughter or maybe even a granddaughter who's got a, a tough relationship with mom or grandma to say, okay, well, if you are willing to take the first step, and I know there are a lot of parents who are saying, Well, why do I have to take the first step? And I'm you 'You're well, the no.
3: parent.' <laughs> well,
0: and, and, and last time I checked, there's that Bible verse God so loved the world that He took the first step. Yeah. He was the one who initiated, even though we did everything wrong and we are the sinful ones who need redemption, that first step coming from the parent. We have a model, you know, I mean, yeah. quite frankly. And 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 so if we don't follow that, I mean, that I, I don't want to take the air out of somebody's balloon if you're having a good pity party over the fact that, you know, you have a strained relationship <laughs> with your adult children. But I hate to break it to you. I'd preach it to the choir, too. Uh, but that's, that's on us. Becky Harling is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Rooted Joy is up at the thebottomlineshow.com, prioritizing your connection to Christ and your friends. And that's where that link is. Uh, Becky, you've got a couple minutes left in the conversation here. What was it about Paul's words to the church at Philippi that got you thinking, okay, this is also specifically God's word to women in particular here in the 21st century for such a time as this to be the the basis, if you will?
3: You know, as you read the book of Philippians, and I had taught it many times before writing this book, but Paul was in prison. Many of us felt like we were in prison during COVID, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on house lockdown, very similar to Paul. At least we could do like a target pickup. He couldn't do
2: that, you know? Right, <laughs>
0: right. But,
3: right. but um, and we had Amazon, but, uh, aside, you know, we, were, we felt like we were in, in prison maybe. And I began to think, you know, Paul yeah, he was in prison, but he actually had a lot of joy. And I was seeing on social media, a lot of messages that seemed like people had lost their joy. You know, this is horrible. Uh, I was hearing all kinds of bad stuff. And it's like, guys, this isn't that bad. It's, It's awful that people are dying. And that was sad. So yes, we mourn that loss. However, we can have joy because generations before us have been in prison. They've gone through hardship and they they have somehow come out with joy that's resilient. And mm. so I wanted to lead women to the fact that, look, it joy does isn't just based on your outward circumstances. It's based on how deep your connection with Christ is and how deep your connection with others is.
0: Mm. Well, and that and that is such a perfect summary of what you've written about and what you've created for women to have these uh, girlfriend groups, girlfriend gatherings. Girlfriend on, gatherings, yeah. Okay, girlfriend gatherings. Obviously, I won't be invited, but- um, <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Because the, for, the, for women to get together and have really the opportunity to experience the joy of godly friendships and know that there's more to it than just- getting in good with girlfriends at church, but rather to say, hey, let's let's reprioritize who Jesus is, who God is, what scripture means to us. And maybe there's a season now where we don't necessarily always go to the big event, but rather we make that event happen kind of first century church style in our own homes. Becky Harling's book, Rooted Joy, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends is up at the bottomline And we'll be giving away a copy at the end of the conversation here. But first let me say thank you, Becky, for the book. And thanks for the fantastic conversation today here on the bottom line. Really appreciate hey,
3: it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real joy.
0: Boy, a good conversation and a great topic too. Becky Harling has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Becky, thank you for being with us. Uh, Rooted Joy is the name of the book, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com and we do have a copy of this book They were giving away today here on Good News Friday. Love Good News Friday giveaways, don't you? 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line again we have one copy of Becky Hardling's five star on Amazon book called Rooted Joy prioritizing your connection to Christ and your friends 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, let's talk about why it's so important to be rooted in faith. Really, truly, honestly rooted. I have an example that will never leave me. I will never, I, I can't unsee what you're about to hear me share with you on the other side of this break about the importance of having the right kind of roots, the right kind of soil, and the right kind of climate. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues.
2: Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com cover. That's C-O-V-E-R.
0: Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsha. My thanks again to Becky Harling, uh, the author of a great new book called Rooted Joy, uh, Prioritizing Your Connection to Christ and Your Friends. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800 227 5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, this book ostensibly is a Bible study in the book of Philippians, and you'll figure that out right away as you go through. It's a great book to go through, ladies, if you've got a group of uh, women in your world that you like to uh, do life with, uh, to share and grow stronger in faith. Um, it's interesting, though, because we're living in a culture right now that loneliness is on the rise. We've got so much social media. And I remember when we wrote the book, Internet Protect Your Kids, Steve Arterburn and I uh, did many years ago when the social media was basically MySpace morphing into what became the Facebook phenomenon. A lot of sociologists said, boy, social media is great, especially for shy, awkward kids, because now you can go outside your peer group and find people in other parts of the world that have your interests. It'll be wonderful. Not realizing. That God designed us for real relationships and community and all the social media world did for a lot of people was make it 10 times worse because now you could be tormented online and now other people who didn't even know you could torment you online. And now you could be tormented 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not good. But the way that you could experience the joy of the Lord is to be rooted in him. Um About three, four years ago, Lisa and I were privileged enough to be able to uh, uh, purchase a, uh, I guess you'd call it a weekend getaway. Uh, You know, Having been Southern California residents for both of us for our entire lives, we in LA County and then Corona and being in Orange County. uh, We found a place in the Coachella Valley in the desert. And uh, I have fond memories of being there. My mother and father used to drag my sister and brother and me out to 29 Palms a couple times a year to visit my dad's parents when they lived there. And um it, it's just a it's a it's a nice area and so we had a home out there and we go out on the weekends or you know kind of hang out and I remember one weekend we were there in these really strong winds I mean windy season in the desert is basically from uh I think it's February February 7th to July 7th I don't know why I remember those numbers but it was so we we're out there and it was a Saturday morning Friday night the wind had been blowing like crazy so Lisa and I went for a walk on Saturday and they're these big old giant green trees they I, I don't know what kind of tree they are I'm not the botanist, but they were big. they had big thick trunks. they would sprout up at the top, and they had these kind of yellow uh, flowers that uh, were kind of adorning the top and but they were just you know they were there you know they were they were um, they, they were green and strong and prominent and we began to notice as we were walking that a lot of these trees because of the wind had been knocked on the side like on a forty five degree angle, or some of these trees had actually even been flattened i mean they were they were completely knocked to the ground and as we walked by we were amazed to see how small the roots were here are these trees that towered 10 15 feet maybe 20 feet high and the roots were about six inches deep i kid you not and we looked and we both kind of went well no wonder here they are trying to grow in sand with these tiny little roots and the only way the trees could form a solid root system is if they grew next to each other and the root systems could intertwine below the ground when you planted them individually like the builders had done well there you go so keep that in mind as you think about loneliness and isolation and friendships and people in your world we were not created to do life alone We were created to do it in community and when we are growing next to each other in groups whether it's small groups or churches or whatever families and the roots below can intertwine they don't have to be that long to grow stronger and deeper and continue to find that nourishment that they need to withstand the storms of this life that is good news and that's the bottom line last call for becky harling's book on rooted joy 800-227-5278 on the other side of this break the Speaker of the House of Representatives makes a surprise announcement at a major event supporting the sanctity of human life. What exactly did he say and do? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Welcome to this special Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so grateful to be able to share some more good news with you to wrap up the week for many, many people who are you know, just looking for some good news. And um, I think if you don't know where to find it, and trust me, it takes an effort sometimes. It really honestly does. There are some faith-based publications. Of course, there are some mainstream publications that carry what I consider to be good news. But it's very interesting to see how difficult it is to find good news because the reality is um, the adage and the the idiom in the uh, business world of media used to be if it bleeds it leads meaning the lead or main story if if there's some kind of tragedy attached to it that's what the media goes with they want you to think things are bad as a matter of fact earlier this week i was lamenting over the fact that the new york times ran they run a a piece every day if you don't want to read the new york times and i don't blame you um (laughs) any of the mainstream publications not really into uh, to to uh reading and quite frankly it's getting tougher and tougher to watch the television news programs unless it's shannon bream doing fox news sunday i watch highlights on the internet as opposed to watching the the stories on unfold and there's a reason for this about 13 years ago it was maybe 14 years ago now i was in a hospital in uh, san diego my mom was having a procedure done uh she and i were fellow part well all three my mom my dad and my and, and I have uh, heart issues. And uh, my mom's had high blood pressure, whatever, for a number of years. And God's given her 90 years with life, which is phenomenal. And she um, was in having, I think, an angioplasty or something. And so my dad and I were sitting in the waiting room uh, at Scripps down in La Jolla, I think it was. And uh, as we were sitting there, we, the, the, of course, CNN was on in the waiting room. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but whenever you go to the, the airport or the hospital or something like that, Sometimes they do give you in hospitals. They give you, you know, multiple screens, and you can, you can set the adjuster to, you know, uh, to find whatever channel you want. You can watch whatever newscast is everybody's agreement with, or watch the big football game, or whatever it is. When you go to airports, CNN for years used to contract out with every major airport in America, or so it would seem, that the only news they they broadcast in the airport was CNN. So it was, you know, this whole fair and balanced stuff nobody had any time for that they didn't care anyway so we're at the hospital and someone had it on CNN it's about one in the afternoon and my dad and I were just making small talk you know how it is when you're in the hospital and or in a medical waiting room and someone's having a procedure done and maybe surgery and you're just waiting and you're talking about anything and nothing just to kind of keep things moving and you know relieve some anxiety you're you're not talking about heavy stuff you're just talking about whatever and finally, it was my dad who looked up and noticed he's a big CNN guy, He'd never seen Fox News before. I, was, I think it was one of my daughters who encouraged him to try Fox News Channel and he was amazed at how different the world looked from the way they were reporting it on Fox to the way they reported it on CNN. But he looked at, 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 up at the screen and they were going through this wheel of uh, whoever the hosts were back then. It's been a never ending. Isn't it nice you could turn on the bottom line show and you know, hey, Every Monday through Friday, at this time here on our bottom line affiliates, it's the same host you've had for thirteen years. Hi, uh, not not so with the CNN World, but he he looked at me and he said, "Have you noticed we've been here for about two hours now, and they've covered three stories, and they had one group of four people. There was a host and three experts came in and discussed those three stories, and the very next hour they changed the setup." They brought in a whole new panel of people and they talked about the exact same thing. And he looked at me and he said, surely there has to be more happening in the world than those three stories. And, you know, it's, it's, it's true. You know, here, uh, a group like the New York Times then overdoes it. They do a data dump with this David Leonhardt article that comes through all the, uh, every day. And it says, here are the 75 stories that you're not reading in the New York Times, but we'll try to whet your appetite to get you to go there. And one of the ones they ran this week, they ran it a couple days actually, was the economy's fine. All is well. We have nothing to worry about. But these are the, and, and you and I know it's not. We know that we have $34 trillion in federal debt that we're about to hit the point where the debt payment is going to be large, our, our debt's going to be larger than our gross domestic product, and we're going to wind up spending, we're going to have to borrow money just to pay off the debt, let alone fund the federal programs. It, it's, it, it's basically the beginning of the end of the U.S. government unless we don't make some radical changes. And yet, one of the reasons why we're in the situation, just from a pure number standpoint, isn't so much about ideologies it's about demographics it's about pure numbers all of the doomsday naysayers from the 1970s who said we need to legalize abortion because if we don't the planet will be overrun and we'll be out of resources we won't have enough food to feed everybody who's going to be here on the planet so roe versus wade was legalized other countries adopted legalization of abortion and in the U.S., there were 65 million babies that we know of that were aborted legally and we were told safely. The pro-life community had to fight for 48 years before Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey were overturned in the Dobbs v. Jackson case out of Mississippi on the 24th of J- of June, 2022. Since then, 24 states have sought to strengthen their abortion laws Uh, the pro-abortion lobby has sought to uh, change the image we've gone from the surgical abortion which everybody understands is hideous and heinous and terrible to then to the uh, chemical abortion which was you take a pill and then then they rebranded that as the medical abortion this is the safe medical women are bleeding out and suffering irreparable damage To the reproductive systems are experiencing depression. Um, It's just, it's awful for people, women who are doing so. And yet a recent survey, not a ton of people involved in it, but of a couple of hundred women who sought abortion reversal. If you take the first dose of the abortion pill, RU486 we used to call it, and then you take the abortion reversal pill, uh, it'll stop the abortion from happening. The baby will start getting nourishment again and the baby could be carried to term. And something like 90% of the babies that get carried in that situation who mom thinks I don't want to carry this child to term, if you take the abortion reversal pill, it works. So of course the left says, you can't do that. Don't take those pills. They're dangerous. Yeah, they're dangerous because the child might live. But it's amazing how we've kind of gotten away. We have pregnancy resource centers like Preborn. Now, remember we used to have the crisis pregnancy center? Because for a lot of people, a pregnancy out of wedlock was a crisis. We have revamped that language to where it's no longer considered a crisis when you consider that 41% of all the babies born in America are born to unmarried parents or to a single person who just says, you know, I'm mom and dad's not in the life of the child and so it's just me. Over 70% of kids in the African-American community are born out of wedlock. I mean, this is what birth control and abortion on demand and all sorts of other governmental interference, all the same people who interfere with your life and then tell you, you don't want the government interfering with your life, do you? And the fact that it took the pro-life community 48 years to refine the message and change the hearts and minds of people and finally get a legal challenge to Roe versus Wade that would stick lets you know the condition morally of our culture. And toward that end, now, when January 22nd rolls around, January 22nd, 1973 was the day the Supreme Court handed down their infamous decision in favor of Jane Roe, a.k.a. Norma McCorvey, in her case against Dallas County District Attorney Henry Wade, who was enforcing Dallas's no abortion policy back in 1970, when she first filed the suit, by the time it hit the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade became synonymous with a woman's right to murder her child. Well, that's not the way it's presented to the left. It's a woman has control over her body. Well, now the Friday before January 22nd every year is a March for Life Day. And from pro-lifers who used to march in the snow in Washington, D.C., asking for an end to legalized abortion by overturning Roe versus Wade, now it's a celebration of the sanctity of human life. And this past year, uh, this past Friday, as a matter of fact, uh, typically, here's what happens. If there's a Republican in office. George W. Bush used to call in. I think Mike Pence uh, went to the event. Did Donald Trump go? The four, Pence or Trump, one of the guys, if not both of them, went. Now, you remember when Barack Obama was president, instead of going to the March for Life, he actually went to a Planned Parenthood fundraiser received some kind of award and then actually ended his talk with the words, God bless Planned Parenthood. And people think, well, yeah, because you want a Planned Parenthood. You don't want unplanned pregnancies and this, that, the other thing. But when you look at what Planned Parenthood actually does, there's very little for parents at Planned Parenthood. So now you would expect Joe Biden wouldn't show up at the March for Life and no leading Democrat would. But we still had one of the most important people In the united states congress and actually in world leadership right now who made an appearance at the march for life rally on january the 19th speaker of the house mike johnson speaker johnson a republican from louisiana delivered an address at the 2024 march for life rally in washington dc he explained that the idea of god-given human value is intrinsic to american political thought that goes back to its founding but then he shared a very very powerful and poignant story about why he appreciates the pro-life community and the sanctity of human life as it pertains to the unplanned pregnancy that a woman might experience and the temptation to murder her child in the womb. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives.
1: This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through Preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine, and at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends.
0: Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, It was Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, former attorney for Alliance Defending Freedom, who delivered the keynote address at the 2024 March for Life rally last Friday, January the 19th. And um, he, it was snowing. Still 100,000 people showed up. It was great. Uh, it was during the speech, though, where he talked about our nation's history, our nation's, as he put it, our nation's birth certificate, and how he believes that the God-given human value is intrinsic to American political thought. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from his address. I think you'll be inspired. We'll find the entire video. Put it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Speaker Johnson said, it was the great British statesman G.K. Chesterton who famously observed that America is the only nation in the world that was founded upon its creed, and he said it was listed with theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. Continuing, he said, what is that creed? What is it from our nation's birth certificate, the declaration, that makes us who we are? Well, we know that language so well. And then he shared those very famous words from the opening. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words obviously all men are created equal not born equal but created equal that's what the founders said wow doesn't that just put it in perspective a guy with a legal background a guy who understands the sanctity of human life and says look remember all men are created equal i love the way he highlighted that because i've run past that Many times, I'm sure you have too. We're not all born equal. And that's what the progressives would like to basically tell you. If we're all born equal and they big push for equity, that means once you get here, once you arrive, once you survive childbirth, now you get all sorts of rights. But the Declaration of Independence says that all people are created equal. And I only change that from men to people because it's a reference to mankind, not just men. Speaker Johnson continued the worldview expounded in the declaration of independence. Johnson said shows that the American system is pre predicted or predicated rather on the belief that every single person has inestimable an dignity and inestimable dignity and value. And your value is not related in any way to the color of your skin or what zip code you live in, how good you are in sports or where you went to high school. Such things are irrelevant because everyone receives inerrant value from their creator, A national creed founded on such a principle is what has allowed the U.S. to become, quote, the freest, most successful, most powerful, most benevolent nation in the history of the world. Now, what's interesting about Mike Johnson, first and foremost, before we go any further, that is the perspective of Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, an Anglo guy who comes from the South, who understands that... um, you know, that, that this is what the United States was envisioned to be in the Declaration of Independence. When you read the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, and, and, and so on, it took us another 90 years to get the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th, 14th Amendment. There's still a lot of work to do. But in our DNA, in our founding, in that basis, that foundation, that's what's there. Now, Mike Johnson became the Speaker of the House just last year because of kind of a a bit of a coup of super conservatives who didn't like the work that Kevin McCarthy was doing. But the reason he is so passionately pro-life is because that in January of 1972, exactly one year before the U.S. Supreme Court decided that Roe v. Wade would give women the right to privacy, which would enable them to not have to disclose if they were going to choose to kill their child or not, That is when Mike Johnson's parents, who were teenagers at the time, found out that they were pregnant, and in January of 1972, they welcomed this young man into the world. Mike Johnson was the result of an unplanned or unexpected pregnancy. He said, quite frankly, if it weren't for my parents choosing life, well, obviously, (laughs) he wouldn't be here. And yet, though they were young and though the tide of public opinion was swaying them and other people of their age and their situation toward abortion, they chose life. And he said, obviously, he's profoundly grateful for the fact that they did. Now, there are many people who would look at that situation and say, well, yeah, your parents came from privilege and they had resources and don't you know how many people? How many young girls who wind up getting pregnant and they don't have the means to handle you know, the the financial constraints or they have to drop out of school, they can't get a job, they get kicked out of their home, et cetera, et cetera. And we know it, it would be foolish, it would be irresponsible for us as Christians to look at the plight of many young women who find themselves pregnant and then have a boyfriend who says, you know, get rid of the kid. I don't wanna be a father. Or have parents who say, look, you're 19 and you're pregnant. You can't live in this house anymore. Or they have a job that says, well, you know, we're making some big changes here. Now, federal law has changed in such that a woman who is pregnant can no longer lose her job simply because she's pregnant. She's going to get... If she's on the health insurance plan, she's going to qualify for health insurance all the way through labor and delivery. That's part of the Affordable Care Act, by the way, uh, part that you may not realize was in there. And that's something you have to give credit to the guy who pushed so hard for that act for. But when we talk about our friends at Preborn and what they provide for a woman who's facing an unexpected pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy, if you will, what pre-born does is this is a two-year process. When you first come in for that initial consultation, we talk about you making a donation of $28 and that covers the cost of the ultrasound, but that's the first step in a two-year journey. Are you going to adopt? We'll help you find the legal, uh, we'll help you find the medical help that you need. Are you in a situation where you're looking for work? Maybe you did get kicked out. That's a reality. There are a lot of young women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy and they do get kicked out or A lot of women who choose abortion do so because they've had a couple of kids and they don't want a third one or maybe there's been uh, an inappropriate relationship that's resulted in the pregnancy and and a woman doesn't know what to do and her husband's saying hey that's not my kid and there's so many different variables that weigh into this fact the beauty of preborn is these women come and they experience the gospel being lived out the forgiveness the grace the healing the mercy and justice of course i mean god is a merciful and just god he will show mercy, but he can't not be justice. There are consequences to actions. But to see that happen in such a way that plays out so perfectly, it's really beautiful. And, and one of the things I love about um, um, what's happening under the leadership of Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is a couple of bills that recently passed the uh, House of Representatives They'll go on to the Senate where they will probably have a really difficult go. But two bills, one called the Pregnant Students Rights Act and another one called Supporting Pregnant and Parenting Women and Families Act. Now, the first bill requires colleges to inform women of accommodations available if they become pregnant. The second bill aims to block the Biden administration's efforts to bar pro-life pregnancy centers from access to federal welfare funds in the uh, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program. You heard that right. President Biden, who says we shouldn't be supporting, uh, we should be giving tons of money to Planned Parenthood and supporting abortion clinics, does not support pro-life pregnancy resource centers from participating in the welfare funds because they're not licensed in every case. Or uh, this is anti-choice rhetoric. When you're giving federal money to one of those centers, you're taking it away from a pro-abortion center, and that's not good. But this is how uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, concluded his comments. He said, we're passing these bills and we're marching today because it takes a lot of work to convince people that every single human child, every unborn child, has a value that is too profound and precious to ignore. And we have every reason to be optimistic, my friends, that we could change public opinion. He then appealed to the examples of people like Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony. Uh, as people who were able to shift prevailing beliefs toward human dignity by adhering to the ideals laid out in the country's national creed. They reminded their fellow Americans about our founding principles. And as Lincoln said in his famous first inaugural, the better angels of our nature. We should do the same thing today, my friends. Let's be encouraged. Let's press on in hope that we could join together and make this great difference. I believe that we can. We can stand with every woman for every child and be truly a Build a culture that cherishes and protects life. Now it's interesting, because um, there, uh, the 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 problem that a lot of people are seeing with what Mike Johnson is trying to promote. Is that there are others who are trying to prepare for the inevitable backlash A so politico said that there are some conservatives that are actually uh pushing for more abortion restrictions but then tucking provisions into various appropriation bills and that's getting a pushback um but during a press briefing earlier in the week johnson admitted he said hey look we're not going to get everything we want but we're going to do the best we can with what we have uh Some final thoughts on Mike Johnson and why I am grateful his teenage parents did not choose abortion. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the things I appreciate, and I know you do too, about pre-born is the fact that they tell you the truth about where you are in pregnancy. You know, it, it, it it's amazing how the National Institute of Health and the CDC wants to classify pregnancy as a quote-unquote illness so then they can prescribe quote-unquote treatment medication in the form of an abortion pill to end the abortion. Well, that's crazy. We know, you know and I know, that God creates each of us in the womb of our mothers. And he creates each of us uniquely for a purpose and 85 percent of the women who go to pre-born clinics and they don't hear the the propaganda from the abortion industry that says you your two choices are either abortion or misery that there are three options and the third one involves basically choosing life for the child and releasing that child for adoption. I want to thank a couple of people for their very generous donations to pre-born. Dean in National City made a $1,400 donation. Dave in Lake Forest, a $500 donation. Uh, and also Edward in Norfolk, Nebraska, who listens online with a $48 monthly dollar donation. Uh, go to kbrightradio.com. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation today. It's completely tax deductible. 100% of your donation goes to ultrasound technology. And we're saving lives and saving babies through preborn. Click on kbrightradio.com. Hit the preborn banner today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, so grateful that you've tuned in today. And also grateful, as I mentioned earlier, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, a Republican from Louisiana, a former attorney for Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, spoke at the March for Life rally last Friday. 100,000 people gathered in the snow in Washington, D.C., and he talked about the legislation that they've passed in the House that probably won't make it through the Senate, at least not this time around. Hopefully, the GOP could take on the Senate and move in that direction, too. But then he shared the story of being, uh, he was born in January of 1972, his parents were teenagers, they weren't married, and basically he said, I'm glad that I was not aborted. Well, obviously, we are glad. But you know, I was thinking about how one small decision, his parents' decision to practice intimacy and unsafe sexual relations when they weren't married, led to his creation. And I keep telling everybody I know, the beautiful thing about the sanctity of human life like this is God never makes mistakes. and God is always on time. So when a couple says, well, we don't know how this happened. It used to be kind of a joke on TV shows like the Honeymooners, right? The woman says, I'm pregnant. The husband says, how did this happen? And everybody laughs. Well, we know how it happened. If God does really knit together in our mother's wombs, each of us, then all of us are on time. So if somebody has an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy, it's not the child's fault. And I was thinking about how interesting it is that God moves in these ways, because 10 years ago, this just popped up in my Facebook feed last week, you know who one of my special guests on the Bottom Line Show was January of 2014? Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney Mike Johnson, who 10 years later is now the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Neil Boron and I were talking about this, my colleague at WDCX in Buffalo. He was on an ADF special counsel at one point, and Mike Johnson was on the council too. We were both just kind of reminiscing, going, who knew when we were talking with these guys all those years ago, this guy, that he'd wind up being the third most important political leader in the United States. Remember, President of the United States is in charge, Vice President is the second in command, and if anything happens to either of those, the person who takes over running our nation is the Speaker of the House. So Mike Johnson's role is critical. Can you imagine what our nation would be facing right now if Mike Johnson's teenage parents had chosen to abort him? Lord, we thank you for the men and women who are brave enough to stand up for the unborn, for the parents who are brave enough to say, I will have this child born or, and become his or her parent or release this child for adoption. We know there are options. Help us to calmly, with gentleness and respect, rebuke and refute the arguments of the pro-abortion community. We know in the same way that every baby is planned. It may not be on our timetable, but certainly on your timetable. Help us to get our mind lined up with yours. Help us to make our thoughts your thoughts, so that our ways will start to reflect your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.